So last week, uh, we finished our series on why we believe what we believe about Jesus, otherwise known as Christology. This week, we're starting why we believe what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and its uh, interaction with the believer really applies to everyday life. Uh, when it comes to God the Father, that's like foundational. We understand um, sort of basics of our faith, and it sort of lays a, a foundation for everything else that's built upon it. Same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ and what we believe about Him. It applies more personally to salvation and uh, the, the many different things He does for us as a believer. But the Holy Spirit is something that indwells the believer at the moment of salvation, and we'll talk about that as we get to it. But the Holy Spirit... Because it indwells the believer, it affects every day of our life. Uh, and we'll see that here in just a second. You know what? You're going to have to rotate for me a little bit there, Facebook. Because I can't see my Bible. Okay. <sighs> this is why I usually have Josh do this. Um, yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're trying. Let's take our Bibles. Oh, that's the wrong story. Okay. And turn with me to, it's the book of John. Oh, you know what? Let's start in John chapter 20. Yeah, we're going to start in John chapter 20 this morning uh, because... It is uh, the chapter that takes place with the Easter story. And we talked a little bit about doubting Thomas last week, right? And this is in between those two stories. But it is a very critical moment for Christianity. John chapter 20, we're going to start reading in verse 19. It says, Then the same day... At evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So they're already being persecuted by the Jews for assembling under the name of Jesus. Um, Jesus shows up in the midst of them after being resurrected. And verse 20 says, When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Uh, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then, verse 21 is where we get into, um, let's see, it's paterology, Christology. This is called, the study of the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology. And like most English words that make sense, pneumatology starts with a P. Yeah. P-N-E-U-M-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Pneumatology. Anyway, it says in verse 21, Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Jesus is sending them out with the gospel message. Just as Christ had come to perform miracles and cast out demons and uh, spread the, the message of his salvation, so too have 
the Lord sent us out into the world. Uh, we don't have the power to perform miracles or cast out demons or so forth, but we do have the ability to show forth the compassion of Christ. We do have the ability to show forth the love of Christ out into the world. And uh, that is what we're sent out into the world to do, is to perform those sort of acts of love. Most importantly, to share the gospel. To let people know that we as sinners are in need of a Savior that was provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a symbol pop up and I don't know what it means. It might have been me. Okay. That would be lovely. What did it look like? It's, it's got a camera. It's got like a... looks like a camera and then it's got like an icon around it. But I don't know what that means. Anyway, if it's somebody watching, I'm glad you're here. Uh, so then it's, he says in verse 22, when he had th- said this, he breathed on them. And I know what you're thinking. Ew. But it's Jesus, so how bad can his breath be, right? And then also, he's not just breathing on them. Uh, it says, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye... The Holy Ghost. Okay, so this is crucial. At this moment, right here in John 20, is where the New Testament disciples very first received the Holy Ghost. It is important also to understand that it was just the Jews that received the Holy Ghost at the very first how many times have you read through the book of Romans, or if you remember our series that we went through on Wednesday nights on Romans, how many times Paul said the phrase, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile, or to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, which was his way of saying Gentile. Anybody remember that? I'm glad Amanda remembers that. All right. You guys with me this morning? Okay. Okay, well, you're busy, so I understand. Uh, But, does anybody know why to the Jew first? Because the Jews are God's people. Because the Jews are God's chosen people. Yeah. It was the Jews that God had his bloodline come through. It was the Jews that were actually supposed to be the ones to go out into the world with the gospel. And because they rejected it, the job was given to us. Uh, so, he said, receive ye the Holy, the Holy Ghost. And in that moment, they have the Holy Ghost. Next week, we're going to talk about in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Ghost and its power is actually activated in the believer. They have the Holy Spirit here, but for this 40-day period where the Lord is resurrected but not yet ascended... Uh, the Holy Spirit hasn't been activated because they still have Christ with them. All right, and then in Acts chapter 2, as they're in the upper room, that is where the Holy Spirit and its power becomes activated upon them. And we'll talk about that uh, next week. Uh, but right now, they have the Holy Spirit, but they don't have his power. It's a bit like, um, you know when you get a credit card in the mail? Or uh, when, your credit, when your debit card expires and the bank sends you your new debit card? Have you ever peeled it off the paper, taken the sticky off, and just stuck it in your wallet and forgot about it? Have you ever gone out and tried to go shopping and then tried to use your debit card and realized you haven't called them and had it activated yet? 
Yeah, that's that's what this is like. It's like though they had the Holy Spirit, like you had that debit card, but it hasn't been activated yet. The power isn't activated. You can't use that credit card to spend money yet. In the same way, they didn't have the Holy Spirit giving them the insight and the guidance that we have right now. They will very soon, but just not yet. And so, after having received the Holy Ghost. Uh, verse 23 says, Whosoever's sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever's sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, there is some confusion about this verse because a lot of people think that this is referring to the church. And the church and its ecclesia, its, its spiritual council, uh, has the authority on this earth to forgive sins or else not forgive sins. And that's just not the case. Uh, the get my words together here. English is hard this morning. Uh, the form of God the Son is speaking to God the Holy Spirit right here. And so he's, the Holy Spirit being part of God, that's who he's speaking to. He's telling the Holy Spirit, whosoever sins you remit or forgive, they are remitted or forgiven. Uh, so that is the conversation going on there. Let's turn now if I can find it. To a chapter also in John. Yes, uh, chapter 14. John 14. So, the Lord in John 14 is teaching about the, the Trinity and the individual parts of it. He starts off in verse 7, talking about the Father. Pil, uh, Philip asks him to show him the Father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, the conversation continues. Uh, it says in verse, he tells him in verse 13, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, uh, that the Father may be glorified. Sorry, guys. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then in verse 16, he begins to tell them about the Holy Spirit. He says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Now, we've talked about before the nature of spending time with Jesus, especially during his earthly ministry. While they were spending time with Jesus, it was a very comforting time for them. Uh, they felt safe. They felt secure. They felt like they were going to be taken care of. You know, it's always nice to be around somebody you feel like you can let your guard down a little bit. You know, you don't have to be so responsible around. You don't have to be so careful around. Uh, you can just enjoy the time together. That's the way it was with Jesus. When you were around the Lord, you didn't feel like you had to be so on guard, protective, and making sure you're responsible and everybody's got what they need because you knew Jesus was going to take care of you. And it was a great comfort. So as he's talking about returning to his heavenly father, it's a discouraging thought for a lot of them. So he wants to encourage them by telling them here in verse 16 that the Father will send them another comforter after they're gone. And that the Holy Spirit was capable of providing that same kind of comfort to them as Jesus provided. And that's the same power he holds for us today. 
that the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, capital C Comforter there, because we're talking about one of the three parts of the Holy Trinity. We're talking about God himself. But he is capable of great comfort to us. You can feel like when you've got the Holy Spirit, you can feel like you can let your guard down. Like God is going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. Uh, That the Lord uh, will keep you safe. And that you don't have to be so cautious all the time. You'd say, but I always feel very cautious and I always feel very uh, worried and I always feel like I need to be on top of everything all the time and it's exhausting and I don't know what to do about it. I would say to you, um, maybe work on your prayer life or else work on your faith. Because it is a matter of faith. A lot of people will say, well, it's not about not having faith. I believe in Jesus. Well, yes, of course you believe in Jesus, but there are varying degrees of that. Right, Just because you believed in the Lord to get saved at one point in your life doesn't mean you've got the level of faith uh, that you ought to have and that you keep it all the time. When we wane in our faith, we begin to worry. If you worry, you don't have the faith that you should. It's, it's as simple as that. If you have fears and doubts and anxiety, you don't have the level of faith that you should. And it's as simple as that. That the Lord will take care of you is something that we should just trust upon. And... There is a great comfort in just trusting in the Holy Spirit. He brings us an incredible amount of comfort if we'll allow it. Because I think our trouble with that is a release of control, right? We want things to sort of be on us, right? How many times has something gone wrong and you blamed yourself for it? Usually for most of us, it's most of the time. Something goes wrong, and you go over in your head what you could have done different, and all the different reasons it was your fault, right? That is comes from a place of needing control, right? If it's your fault, then you still have control. That was something you can fix next time. You still have control of it because it was your fault. What we need to work on is relinquishing control. We need to work on letting God have control and us saying, none of this is in my realm of control at all. I have no say over any of this. And that can be a really terrifying thing to admit. But what happens once we do is that we let go of all the fears and worries and anxieties in our life and we just trust the Lord to take care of things for us and he will. Or else we will not spend all that time in unnecessary worry, anxiety, and fear that doesn't fix anything anyways. When you go, see, it went wrong anyways. I knew it would. That's not really the point. Right? Because the point is all you're worrying and and pondering over it and staying up till the middle of the night worrying about things, that's not going to fix it either. Right? How many times have you had a problem you knew was going to happen and you stayed up worried about it, stressed about it? everything else, and it still happened anyways. Right? Your, your worry and your anxiety didn't help you at all. Wouldn't it be nice, though, to not have had to worry about it? That's the kind of comfort the Holy Spirit provides. Sometimes bad things do happen. But sometimes they happen because we didn't have faith in the Lord. If we would just learn to let go of that sense of control and let the Lord reign our life for us, then we would have the power of the comforter. It's an incredible power to be able to have a sense of calm and peace in the midst of a chaotic world around us. It's an incredibly uh, precious thing. So he will send us another comforter. 
Notice that he may abide with you forever. Now, this was different because this is not the way it always was. And it's important to understand that because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did still interact with people, but the Holy Spirit would come upon people and would sort of indwell, not indwell them, but would... uh, would sort of control their actions, not control their actions, but would dictate sort of to them what they ought to do for a set period of time. Somebody that was had the Holy Spirit come upon them might have been like David in the story of David and Goliath. He won that because of his faith, and he had the Holy Spirit come upon him and help that rock sink further into that giant skull than it should have. Right? You might think of Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. Joshua had the Holy Spirit come upon him during that battle as they were marching around the city. The walls come down. That was the Holy Spirit, right? That wasn't Joshua finding a weak spot in the foundation and tapping on the right rock, right? That was the Holy Spirit coming upon Joshua and making something happen. So there would be moments in the Old Testament age where the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody and then leave, right? But it wasn't a permanent thing. What we have here in verse 16 and what we have in our own Christian life is a permanency. The Holy Spirit indwells you, and it indwells you your entire life. Uh, has anybody ever heard the phrase, uh, giving up the ghost? What does it mean? When I say someone gave up the ghost, what happened? They died. They died. We call it that... Because that is the only time the Holy Ghost departs from the believer. is when we ascend from this earth into the physical presence of God in heaven. Right? And so that's what he means by abide forever. Because even if the Holy Spirit isn't indwelling us in heaven, it's in heaven. So we're still in its presence in heaven. But the Holy Spirit abides with us our entire life. There is never a moment where you depart so far from God that the Holy Spirit leaves you. The Holy Spirit is always with you in everything you do, in everything you say, in every place you go. The Holy Spirit is always with you. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't interact with it within our physical realm. But upon the spiritual world, it is here. It's that place that we can't see or hear or smell or taste or touch, but it is that place uh, where the angels dwell. You remember that story in the Old Testament where Elijah was in the wilderness and the enemy had surrounded him and was fixing to come in upon him. And his servants saw them outside of the, the forest that they were in and came to Elijah, Elijah panicking. And Elisha said, Lord, show him what he cannot see. And then all of a sudden he was able to see uh, that the hills all around that wilderness were filled with warrior angels at the ready waiting for their Lord's command to protect Elisha. There are angels among us. The Bible teaches us this. But they're on a spiritual level that we can't see. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit abides in us, within our heart, within our mind, within that place. There is a spiritual nature to the mind. Did you know that? The mind is the place where the emotional heart dwells. Uh, we, For a while, humans thought that it was 
the heart that's in your chest, that that's where the emotions dwelt. And while there is some reaction uh, within the heart, uh, they thought that mostly because that is the place that hurts when you feel sadness or things like that. You feel it in that place sort of at the bottom of your chest where your heart is. And so that's why they thought that. They call it the heart. But those emotions register primarily in the mind, like everything else in the human body. But there is a spiritual nature to the human mind. You know, there's a reason we know almost nothing about the human mind. I mean, we know a lot of things that we didn't know before, but we know almost nothing about the human mind. The only ways we can learn more about the human mind is to uh, study it as it reacts to different things. And then we can compare that to other creatures' minds and other creatures' brains and see how they react to certain things. Uh, but there's not a whole lot. We can't go into the brain and, and, and look and see what everything is and what everything does. There's a lot about the human brain that we don't understand, and that's because there is a spiritual nature to it. right? There is a part of the human body that is spiritual, that can't be detected on an EKG or on a CAT scan. There is a spiritual nature to the human being that goes beyond these things. We are more than cogs in a machine. You know, we all have personalities. We have life. And not just living, but life within us. And there is a spiritual nature to the human being. And that is where the Holy Spirit dwells. Have you ever studied a Bible story that you've heard probably a hundred times? And then when you read that Bible story, you see something you never saw before. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. That's the Holy Spirit showing you something and teaching you something. You're not going to hear him, but he will speak to you in your mind, in your heart. Uh, have you ever looked back on your life before you got saved and thought, man, look at all the mistakes I made. That's the Holy Spirit. He's teaching you about the way you ought to go by showing you what you shouldn't have done before. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us uh, forever. Is it 931? 1031. I'm sorry, 1031. That's what I meant to say. Okay. Just want to make sure my watch is right. Uh, verse 17 says, Even the Spirit... Of truth. Notice the capital S there on the word spirit. That is an indicator that we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, the, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So right there at the bottom of verse 17, for it says, he dwelleth with you. That is how the Holy Spirit works in the Old Testament age and shall be in you. That's what we read before in John 20, where the Holy Spirit indwelt the believer. Uh, also, he says, he refers to it as not just the Comforter. Now we have another name for the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Truth. Right? Because if the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, it will only ever be truth. Uh, it's not going to be a falsehood a deception, uh, something that, that reveals itself to be untrue later. The spirit of truth only ever reveals the truth. And the thing about that is sometimes that's not very flattering. 
right? Sometimes the mirror is a very unforgiving thing, right? You want to go in the mirror and you want to look a certain way. And when you don't, we have a tendency to avoid the mirror, don't we? Have you ever stepped on the bathroom scale, not liked what you saw and put the bathroom scale in the closet? People do that. A lot of people do that, or maybe you don't put it in the closet, but you have a tendency to forget to weigh yourself as often as you used to. Why do we do things like that? Why do we avoid the mirror? Because we don't like what we see. We don't like the number we saw on the scale. Truth can be a very unforgiving thing. You know, the thing about truth is it doesn't care about your feelings. You know, the thing about truth is, and this is going to be controversial, it doesn't care about your opinions. Your opinions and how you feel does not matter to the concept of truth. It's either true or it's not. And when we're talking about the spirit of truth, we have a tendency to want to hear the things that we want to be true. Instead of the things that just are true. Right? Like, um, I know some people that when they go clothes shopping, uh, they will have not checked themselves for what size they are and will buy clothes for the size they want to be rather than re-measuring themselves for the size that they are. Right? And it's probably not anything, you know, that sounds crazy, but it's I've, that's more thought than they've put into it. Uh, but the fact of the matter is sometimes you just don't want to look. Because the truth will reveal things about ourselves that we don't want to be true. But if we will admit those things about ourselves, that gives us the ability to change them. Right? I acknowledge the fact that while I've lost a lot of weight, I'm still overweight. And the fact of the matter is, I still need to lose more weight. And if I'll acknowledge that, then I can change it. Right, The same thing is true about us along our journey of faith. There's a lot of things about us we don't care for. There's a lot of things we do that we don't like about ourselves. But rather than avoiding the spiritual mirror of the Holy Spirit, we need to look long and hard into that mirror, and we need to say, yeah, those are things I need to change, and then be willing to let the Holy Spirit help us change them. Because He is the Spirit of truth. And as the truth... Your opinions and your feelings come secondary because he's not going to change what's true to make it more palatable for you. Now, there is a uh, there's a nice and a polite and impolite way of saying things, obviously, and we strive to be nice to people as Christians. But the truth doesn't change. He is the spirit of truth. Uh, And then it says whom the world cannot receive. Right. And that's important. Because the world can't receive him because they haven't received Christ. And we're not talking about the whole world being evil and and full of deadly poison and being like the days of Noah. Because the whole world isn't evil and full of deadly poison and as bad as the days of Noah. It's not as bad as all that. There are some some of the nicest people you'll ever meet uh, may not necessarily be Christians. And that's just the truth. Right, And some of the meanest, honoriest, most evil people you'll ever meet might be Christians. Right, When we talk about the world and the separation of the world from the Christian, we're talking about that part of the world that exists without acknowledging that there is a Lord Jesus Christ, and He is alive, and He does permeate our existence. 
right? That is the separation of the world and the Christian we're talking about. Uh, and there is some side effects to that because the world will not have a line of what is right and what is wrong. And there will be some chaos and confusion because they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in God or they don't acknowledge God. And so there is a difference there, but it doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us more righteous. It doesn't make us more holy. It just gives us an edge, right? It gives us the opportunity uh, to grow in ways that they don't have. Uh, so this is that edge we're talking about. This is the, the whole having the Holy Spirit is that opportunity for growth that we have that they don't. And that is the difference. So not that we're better than the rest of the world, just that we have the Holy Spirit and they don't. We have Jesus and they don't. And that is why when the world reads the Bible, have you ever heard somebody talk about the Bible and especially the King James Bible? And they talk about how confusing it is to read, right? And even sometimes a Bible that's not the King James Bible, people don't want to read it because it's so complicated. Right? That is because the world cannot understand this book because they don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when we read this book, it will explain things to us. You may not get every word every time. The Holy Spirit likes to teach in layers. But you will understand it as you begin to study it. And that's because of the Holy Spirit. Remember last week during Easter, we were talking about the resurrection. And I mentioned that Jesus had basically put in big flashing neon sign what was going to happen. And then when it happened, they were like, oh my gosh, we never saw this coming. How could we have possibly knew this was going to happen? And we were like, how did you possibly not know this was going to happen? Right? That's because of the Holy Spirit. Right? They didn't have the Holy Spirit to help them understand what Jesus was saying when he was saying it. But then uh, we understand later, after they received the Holy Spirit, all of the words that he taught them begin to make sense. They begin to click into place after they receive the Holy Spirit. Because that's how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, but he says, But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. We've already talked about verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while. Uh, so he's saying, I will return after the death and burial and resurrection. He's telling them here, I will return, but for a little while. That's that 40-day period between the resurrection and the ascension. And then he says, I'll be with you for a little while. Uh, and then it says, and the world seeth me no more. Right? That is a physical sight thing. The way that they've been used to seeing Jesus. He says, you're going to see me no more with your physical eyes. But then he says, um, in verse 19, But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. So basically Jesus is saying the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit will give you a kind of spiritual sight to continue to see me in your life, even though you can't see me. Right? Have you ever felt the presence of God in your life? It might have been a time where it was a great and joyous moment. It might have been a time of terrible sorrow where you just felt the comforting of the Holy Spirit around you. 
But if you've ever just felt the presence of God in your life, I tell you, uh, if you've ever been a part of a church service where the Holy Spirit just shows up in a really powerful way, you can almost feel God in that place. It's an incredible thing. Uh, And that is what he's talking about here. You can't see him. But because he's given us new life and he's given us the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to sense his presence within our life. And it's not in any sort of a physical way. It is a spiritual thing. But he is there. Uh, Verse 20 says, At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So that is um, what Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and his indwelling in our life, it's not a physical thing. Uh, There are some people who believe that when you experience the Holy Spirit, you do experience a physical thing. Um, You might have receive some of those pieces of paper that some people will put on your car or they'll put a rubber band on your doorknob and it'll like have I don't know I had one one time where it was giving people's descriptions of what it's like when they received the Holy Spirit and they were talking about how uh, they were getting hot and cold and hot and cold and hot and cold and they started seeing in a bunch of different colors and things like that the way we experience the Holy Spirit uh, from what Jesus tells us, what we've read this morning, it's not like that. right? He said, you seeth me no more. right? There is a lack of physical interaction. right? He wants us to have the chance. If there was a physical thing that we could prove and look at and see and point to, there would be no need for faith. And that's what he tells Thomas. Thomas wanted to see something. He wanted to see the hot and cold and hot and cold and different colors and that sort of a thing. But he told Thomas, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. Right. So what we interact with in the Christian life is a spiritual thing. But understand, that doesn't make it any less real. Just because it's not something you can see or hear or smell or taste or touch doesn't mean it's not real. The spiritual world is just as real as everything you experience in the physical world. The thing about it is the Lord wants us to believe it. Not because we have to, because it's been proven true, but because we choose to. Right? And so we experience the Holy Spirit after we become Christians in a spiritual world he is a comforter he provides that comfort to us he is the spirit of truth and he provides the truth to us as well and this is just the beginning of our studies on the holy spirit Uh, next week we're going to get into acts 2 some people refer to acts 2 as the birthday of the church it is not but we're going to cover that in uh, our study of why we believe what we believe about the church so uh, next week will be primarily about the holy spirit how it interacts with them and how it It's different than the way it interacts with us today. Uh, But that is our lesson for this morning. I want to thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you guys who put up with our Facebook Live shenanigans this morning. Hopefully by the 11 o'clock hour we'll have it fixed. I make no promises. Uh, But we will be back at 11 o'clock. Thank you for watching.